Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We have this breaking news off the top at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, reports of a shooting. Reports of multiple victims. That's according to the Las Vegas police who add that the suspect is dead. Let's get right to yeah, CNN. Yeah, I'm on this line. What's Stephanie, up? Stephanie uh, Elam, she's monitoring this from our West Coast newsroom. Stephanie, uh, what can you tell us? We are getting a lot of information here, Jake, that we're just trying to sort out right now. What we are learning, though, is it's noteworthy to say, first of all, that we do know that the shooter, as uh, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department has said, the shooter has been uh, contained and is now no longer alive. That part we do know. However, we do know that this started around noon local time, so just about an hour ago, when we saw the campus impacted by this near Beam Hall. And also there are some reports around Student Union as well, but those are very close to each other, so not clear yet if those are two separate incidents. Uh, we do know that this was study week at UNLV leading up to finals. Uh, so we know that there were a lot of students who were on campus at oh, we've lost getting them. alerts, all of them at the same time on their phones. Uh, they were closing the curtains to their classroom. Some of them were moving to one side of the room, locking doors. They said they heard a glass shatter. We heard one student say that they heard four shots go off. Uh, but obviously the camp is telling people to still stay sheltering in place. They're telling people to stay in lockdown mode if they need to. There were even some uh, some tweets coming out from the campus where they're telling people to run, hide, fight if they needed to in this situation. Uh, we've seen that the perimeter of what they have been locking off around UNLV has expanded some, but still at this point, it looks like there is no further threat, but still unclear how many people may be injured, how many people may have lost their lives, Jake. And also noting that the uh, LVMPD also did tweet that they, seemed, that they said there seemed to be, appeared to be multiple people who were impacted by this. So still waiting to see what that actually means right now. But this is still a very new situation that is developing here on the campus of UNLV in Las Vegas. All right, Stephanie Elam, thank you so much. We'll come back to you uh, when we know that you have new news to report. Uh, let's bring in CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller and former DHS assistant secretary and CNN national security analyst uh, Julia Kayam. John, we're, we're still just learning uh, information about what happened. Uh, uh, what is your take uh, on what we're hearing so far on the police response? The campus is about a 10-minute drive from the Las Vegas Strip. Well, what we're seeing here is, of course, uh, a massive police response. Uh, and you also see a very fast response from the university tweeting out on its student-wide, faculty-wide, university-wide system 
that there was uh, shots fired to shelter in place, uh, to run, hide, fight, as Stephanie said. Uh, what's going on now is Las Vegas Metro Police confirm a suspect is dead. What we don't know there is, was that a self-inflicted wound by an active shooter uh, who took their own life, or was that in a confrontation with police? Still trying to get those answers. As far as victims go, uh, we know that one man in critical condition has been taken to Sunrise Hospital. We know that other victims are on the scene. Because of the nature of the active shooter incident, what was happening was they were locating victims that were in plain view. Uh, they had emergency medical teams um, from Clark County Fire and Rescue there with force protection um, by uh, Las Vegas Metro Police and law enforcement to get them into the building. Uh, with that protection around them to locate victims, triage victims, and then uh, try to do extraction of victims, which now that we believe that there was only one shooter and that the shooter is down, uh, they can go forward. We also don't have any word on if or the number of fatalities. So it is still an extraordinarily active scene, but we are getting the signals from Las Vegas Metro that the incident is under control, the threat has been neutralized, and now really, and we have been here before, Jake, we're in a situation where you've got a lot of locked doors, you have people hiding in rooms, um, closets, other things, so what they're asking for on the scene is to get key cards uh, so that they can get entry to these rooms or entry tools so that they can break in and make sure that there are no additional victims that need medical treatment, that's the priority, um, and that they can get to anybody who's locked in, locked down, and needs to get out. So what we know is um, that the police say that at 11.46 a.m. In, in Las Vegas, uh, there was an incident reported in the 4500 block of, of Maryland Parkway. UNLV wrote uh, on Twitter, now known as X, University Police Responding to Confirmed Active Shooter in BEH, that's a reference to to Beam Hall, which is the home of the Lee Business School. Uh, this is not a test. Run, hide, fight. That's in all caps, run, hide, fight. Uh, and then later, um, they, the university police responded to additional reports of shot fired at the stu student union. But now we know um, that the shooter, uh, we believe, has been killed. Uh, Juliet, uh, you were yeah. in uh, Las Vegas just last week. What are some of the challenges that law enforce, enforcement uh, deals with when it comes to closing off an area uh, where just blocks away, you have this major tourist attraction at uh, the Las Vegas Strip. So, I mean, the first is obviously what you said, which is it, uh, closing off an area like this at a university like this. As John was stating, call, uh, universities are like uh, many towns, many cities. They have their own protocols uh, for communication. It appears they did this very quickly uh, for the students with the police and the university uh, both doing alerts. It's the best that you can do for a community is just basically tell them what's going on and what they need to do. In this case, uh, run, hide, or fight. In this instance, it looks like there's a lot of hiding in, in the sense of locking of doors. Those are the kinds of protocols that happen at colleges and universities all the time. The second, of, of course, is it's Las Vegas, uh, high tourism area, high tourism time. Uh, I was there a couple weeks ago. They had the La Las Vegas uh, uh, Grand Prix. They, they have the Super Bowl coming up in January. Uh, and that means uh, that there are, are a lot of people unfamiliar uh, with the area who might not uh, be have access to 
uh, uh, to communications. But what that also means is that this is a very professional group of people. I know uh, both the police and emergency management very well. Uh, they've learned a lot since October 1st, 2017. That was the terror attack uh, uh, from the MGM studio uh, uh, that at the country music uh, uh, festival that, that um, killed so many. Uh, they are very focused on family unification because that had been a big challenge in 2017. Uh, this is a, these are younger people, they're adults that are, that are college, but they have parents that are still very involved with their lives. So there's a lot of communication and, and family unification going on uh, as well. So those are sort of the top line issues um, that are under consideration until we find out the magnitude of this uh, and now that, now that the suspect is killed. I want to play a bit of what we are hearing from students on the UNLV campus. Take a listen here. Um, to be honest, we were presenting in, uh, in a ballroom in Student Union, and uh, I didn't hear much, but we got an alert, all text and messages at the same time. They, shut, they, put the, they said they put the building in lockdown. They shut all the curtains. Uh, everyone moved to one side of the room. Uh, after that, it was a lot of waiting, probably 20 minutes. And then uh, we got told to move all to one corner. And um, we heard a lot of yelling. That's where stuff started to get a little more hectic, not too hectic. Luckily, everyone stayed calm. John Miller, it's, it's hard not to think about the mass shooting that happened on the Vegas Strip in 2017. At least 58 people killed, more than 500 injured by the lone gunman. Still a lot of mysteries about that shooting. It remains um, one of the deadliest in American history. Given that experience, um, how does that play into what might have happened today at UNLV in any way? Well, it plays in a lot, Jake. Um, you know, this is Las Vegas. Uh, it has always been a symbolic target in terms of terrorism. It has always been a, a magnet uh, for attention. And because of that, uh, Las Vegas Metro Police, um, under successive sheriffs, the current sheriff, Kevin McMahill, um, and, you know, Dory Corin, his head of counterterrorism, they've been very focused on active shooter, active shooter response, active shooter training, active shooter protocols. And after the uh, Las Vegas uh, sniper shooting, which was an event like none of us had ever seen before, uh, they really looked at the lessons learned from that. They honed their response capabilities, their communications, their active shooter plans. So going into this today, there are few places, not that any place is ever really prepared for this, but there are a few places better prepared than Las Vegas with not just their rescue task force approach to bringing in the medics, even when the situation is ongoing, by giving them armed force protection from police, um, by setting up that immediate command post, at this case, um, at the student union, where they were able to fairly quickly evacuate over 300 students in an organized way. Uh, they've put a lot of work into this, but uh, what do they say, Jake? Um, you know, plans are essential in war and useless in battle. Uh, no matter how much practice and protocol and training and drills, physical drills with real role players uh, you go through, uh, when the bullets are flying and people are screaming in the 911 and, you know, the units are arriving, um, keeping these things organized and focused and the information sharp is a real challenge. Um, and obviously we see some of that today, but it's a massive response um, from people who unfortunately have had a lot of practice. Juliet, thoughts? 
I, I completely concur with John. I mean, these are uh, this is a a, a well trained, uh, very professional, uh, both you know, city, university, as and county uh, efforts. And so the main focus now, of course, is is how many are dead and how many are injured, those numbers matter to everyone in terms of what kind of incident it was. And then second, what's the motive? Uh, John and I were supposed to be on your show uh, for another reason, which is just the increased threat environment uh, related to a lot of issues right now in the United States. And so now that they know who it is, they're gonna, uh, and he's dead uh, and confirmed dead, uh, they are gonna now look to motive. Was he a student and had some uh, vengeance against a person or a professor, which we sometimes see, or was it a larger motive uh, out there, and that and that's going to be a, a big question in the in the next 24 hours. Julia Kayam and John Miller, thanks to both of you. I want to bring in CNN's Pete Montine. Pete, it would appear that the incident at UNLV uh, is impacting flights in and out of Las Vegas right now. Here is the latest from the FAA, Jake, that there is a ground stop just put in place for flights bound to. Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas. To put this into context, we are talking about an airport fence line that is only a few thousand feet away from the UNLV campus. This is a really large and swath of a ground stop here that impacts flights pretty much everywhere on the western U.S. We're talking about 12 hundred flights so far delayed, according to the FAA. They could be delayed an hour. They could be delayed even longer. The FAA says this is specifically for a security incident and that there is a chance that this could get extended. But this is impacting flights not only from places like San Francisco and Oakland, but all the way to Denver, a really big airport that is right there on the strip and a big hotspot for travelers. We know that this will have an impact, and oftentimes when these do go in place, there is a ripple effect on travel elsewhere. But the latest news from the FAA they put into place a ground stop because of the security incident for flights going into Las Vegas, and they could extend this even longer, Jake. All right, Pete Montine, thanks so much. We're standing by for a news conference from police in Las Vegas any moment now. We see them starting to set up the microphones. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We're back with the breaking news. The scene just moments ago, military-style tanks uh, rolling near the University of 
Las Vegas or I'm not sure that's a tank, but a military military style vehicle of some sort. Uh, police say that the shooter, or the suspect at least, is dead. Uh, we're standing by for a news conference uh, with police. Let's go back to CNN's Stephanie Elam, uh, who's in our West Coast newsroom. Uh, Stephanie, uh, what's the latest? Yeah, I think one thing that's really worth noting out is that the tweet from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department actually said, quote, the suspect has been located and is deceased. So, again, not clear if the uh, suspect killed themselves or if they were killed in shooting. Not clear, but very interesting wording there to give us more context of what may have happened here. We are hoping to learn more about this when they do hold this press conference closer to um, as we approach 4.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, and get more information. But when we listen to what the students say they encountered, we know that this was study week. This was a time for students to prepare for finals before they could go away for the winter break. They were there on campus, a lot of them studying, some of them trying to figure out what to do and really going to protect themselves the best way they could. They became very aware very quickly, we heard, uh, that this was a serious situation. They're saying that some of them uh, closed curtains to classrooms, moved away to the other side of the room, locking doors. Many said that they heard glass shattering, some hearing uh, shots fired as well. So all of this happening on campus, and it's still unclear whether or not this was just happening in Beam Hall, which is where the... um, uh, Lee Business School is. It has computer labs, laboratories, uh, classrooms, obviously. And whether or not there was also another shooting incident uh, very close by in the student union. So we're hoping to get some clarity on that uh, as we get more information here. As far as the school is concerned, they're still telling people to shelter in place. While this was unfolding, we were looking at their tweets that were coming out from UNLV, telling people that this was not a drill, this was real, telling people to run, hide, fight, writing that in all capital letters to make sure that students understood. Students saying they got uh, text messages all at the same time from the campus telling them what to do um, and the mayor coming out and saying that this is tragic and heartbreaking. But obviously, we still have a lot of questions that we're hoping we get answers to when we hear from LVMPD uh, as we near the bottom of the hour, Jake. Uh, let's bring back, uh, thank you, Stephanie. Let's bring back John Miller and Juliet Kayyem uh, to talk about uh, what's going on. Uh, we expect to hear from police uh, soon, uh, John, what kind of details uh, would we expect to hear uh, this quickly uh, after the shooter, or at least the suspected shooter, uh, has been stopped? So, Jake, what we're going to expect to hear is the basics, which is this is what we know, this is what we don't know, this is what we're doing to find out. Um, I think you'll probably see that take the shape of here is where the incident started this is how we responded this is where we encountered the gunman it appears and all of this is subject to change because you understand having done way too many of these uh, the fluidity and preliminary nature of this information but it appears that the suspect uh, was encountered by police don't know if that's the las vegas uh, uh, university police university of las vegas has its own police department where that was the responding Clark County police, um, and that that is how the suspect came to be deceased. Uh, We have heard numerous reports of a possible second suspect. Now, let me go full stop here. That is almost 100% common in these incidents, um, and most often there is no suspect, no additional suspect other than the original shooter, but the way that occurs is people see... um, plainclothes police arriving or running away from or towards uh, 
where they're supposed to deploy, um, not in uniform, with a weapon out, and those calls turn into a possible second shooter. We'll have to sort through whether this gunman was alone, which is the indicator we're getting from uh, the police tweet. Um, but they have, to, they have to go through those reports and look for those people. So that's where we are right now. Um, the number of casualties still uncertain. Obviously, the shooter is the, at least one dead. Um, there may be an additional. And what I am given to understand is a handful of people either shot or injured, perhaps half a dozen. Uh, but that is all still developing as they continue to use entry tools and key cards where they have them to get into those rooms to see if anyone else who was injured or worse um, is hiding somewhere that hasn't been located yet. You know, that's a good point. Uh, almost every single shooting I've covered, uh, there's always a report of a second gunman, a third gunman. And uh, I can only think of one time where there was more than uh, one gunman ever. Uh, it's almost always just one solo gunman. Juliet, would, would police be in a position at this time to talk about the number of victims? Yes. So for a variety of reasons, they're going to have this press conference, uh, obviously, to tell us what they know. Uh, uh, but they would not be having this press conference if they were still counting bodies. So, so that's the, I, I hate to sound so crude about it, but we just basically know how these work. There's no way they're going to go out there and not at least have some semblance of what the numbers are. Look, this is a, this is a, uh, uh, I just looked at it, it was a 330 acre area with 30,000 students. So this is a big area. Uh, they have communication systems that will tell them what areas were secure and not secure, uh, and also where the gunman may have been by this stage uh, and where he may have uh, traversed to. So we will hopefully hear about what, uh, what the numbers are, how many were shot, what the injuries are. And here's something that you know comes up in, in these active shooter cases. And this, this happened with um, Michigan State University just earlier this year, we have these active shooter cases. Uh, someone dies, maybe two, lots of people injured, uh, and they're not considered mass shootings because in our definition, uh, we only count the dead. And I think that's just, I mean, I honestly think that's just ridiculous. If, if a lot of people were shot at, that's a mass shooting. Uh, but in the way that we define it by the FBI standards and most journalism standards, it is for dead um, uh, not including the assailant. So we're, we'll find out what they're calling this as well, um, hopefully in the next couple minutes. It's possible that we, if we lived in a less violent country, uh, we would adhere to your definition, Juliet. Uh, but because we have so many shootings uh, to adhere to your definition, where a mass shooting is just the number of people shot as opposed to the number of people um, killed, uh, then the numbers of mass shootings would be through the roof. I mean, I'm sure in other countries right. where they don't have mass shootings um, the way we have them in the United States, they probably do define them the way you think they should be defined. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, it's it's. I, I don't I don't know what we're hiding from, but for example, there's a big debate in the literature. It sounds silly, but it's not because how are we going to get an inventory of what actually is happening in this country if we define mass shootings as just you know the person got lucky and wasn't killed, but they were shot at. And so this is the the challenge right now is if we actually 
want an accounting of what is actually happening in this country. Uh, it would take into account that a lot of these lone gunmen, we don't know what kind of gun it was, we don't know what his motivation is, I'm not even pretending that I do at this stage, but that these incidents uh, uh, at, at these public facilities, uh, lots more people are shot than are killed in some of these instances, and we should consider those mass shootings. We'll find out what is happening on the ground, but it's, you know, it, it's worth raising uh, in this instance, because the last major or one of the last major university college shootings uh, uh, um, in Michigan, Michigan State, uh, uh, you know, the guy happened to not kill uh, uh, as many people as he really, really hurt. And that is therefore sometimes not considered a mass shooting. We are now getting um, even more sound from some of the people who were on the UNLV campus uh, when this shooting occurred. Uh, a reminder, the suspected shooter uh, has been killed. Uh, we don't know if it was by police or by his or her own hand. Uh, there are multiple victims. We do not know their status as of now. We do not know if they are wounded or if they were killed as well. Um, let us listen uh, to the sound of people on campus. Of cops lined up going in, uh, some in threes, some in multiple pairs, uh, moving towards the student union because we are told that the shooter was right in the student union uh, area section. That's literally one building over from us, so we were really nervous. So we barricaded all up and just started. I started watching the windows with a couple other kids to just see what we could see, and we saw students running out in single file lines with their hands up, scared, and we saw officers going in in little groups. So that's about all I saw. So uh, John Miller, your reaction? Well, I think, um, as, as you indicated before, you know, we've done this drill too many times. Uh, the, fact that, um, the fact that this is familiar to us is a problem. And, you know, as the Washington Post reported by its, its count, you know, we, um, this, this uh, in the last few days, broke the record for mass shootings in the United States. I think we had passed... 37 uh, for the period they were looking at uh, into 38. This might be 39 today, depending on the numbers. I think they define a mass shooting as a shooting incident where uh, four or more people um, are shot. So uh, that's, a, that's a problem. There is also the question of, as Juliet was talking about, what about the motive here? Um, is this a student? Is this uh, somebody from off campus? Is this um, related to events going on overseas, as the FBI director was concerned about yesterday? And I say that in the context uh, of this is Las Vegas Metro last Friday, just a few days ago, arrested a 16-year-old suspect who was gathering bomb components and posting on an online message board uh, about, uh, about following ISIS propaganda and launching an attack in Las Vegas that would let the Zionists know, you know, that I'm here. Uh, so we still have nothing on motive here, but we have a police department that has been on a really heightened security footing because it's Las Vegas. And now uh, for the second time um, in a number of years has found themselves in the, in the middle of um, another mass shooting. Juliet. Yeah, I mean, you cannot underestimate the extent to which the terror attack on 20, in 2017 uh, that killed uh, over 50 over 50 people at the at the concert uh, has 
changed the way both Las Vegas public safety and police uh, both train, uh, uh, think about the community, think about community response, think about communications uh, to the community based on lessons learned, uh, and also how it really did help to professionalize and make, you know, make a already, you know, pretty good group of public safety entities very, very sophisticated in gun response training. Because you, everyone will remember, uh, you know, that, that, that there were delays in response. There was not good interaction between the hotel and public safety. People on the streets didn't know what was going on. There was very little communications. It was a, it was a very unique and, and disturbing shooting from above, uh, at, uh, above ground, shooting below from a hotel room. Uh, and so there's been a lot of changes over the last couple years. And then certainly as Las Vegas hosts major events, once again, it has the Super Bowl relatively soon. Uh, it, it, it continues to do that. But um, I am glad to hear that they're having a press conference this soon. We've seen public safety begin to delay these, which I never, not that I need to know something that they don't know. It is just simply, it's a way also to reassure the community, reassure students, and also reassure parents. As I keep saying, 30,000 students who are probably between the ages of 18 and 22, anyone with kids those age, they're not, you don't consider them adults, right? There are lots of family members and others who are uh, waiting to hear what happened if they haven't heard from their children. Yeah, and just to reiterate the, um the numbers that John was just talking about uh, over the weekend. Shootings in Texas and Washington um, were the 37th mass shooting and the 38th mass shooting in the United States, according to the Washington Post, defining that as four or more victims killed in an incident, breaking uh, last year's record of 36 mass shootings. According to the Gun Violence Archives, uh, which provides just strictly evidence-based research, the total number of gun violence deaths, according to all causes in 2023, has been 40,059. That includes 275 children uh, ages uh, up to 11 and 1,303 ages 12 uh, to 17. I want to bring in Brett Forrest. He is a reporter Uh, at the local Las Vegas uh, station, KSNV. He is also a student at UNLV. Uh, Brett, tell us what uh, you have experienced. Tell us what uh, you know about the incident. Hey, Jake. Uh, So I'm not a student, but I was here interviewing students. Okay, Um, I apologize. It's all right. Yeah, I I was here on an assignment interviewing uh, students about their projects. And then right when uh, we were getting to walk out the door, people came... uh, kind of running, flooding into the building we're at, um, saying that they had heard there was a shooter and that we had a shelter in place. And so we're still sheltered in place. Um, I I feel confident speaking to you right now because we feel like we're safe where we are, but we are on campus. um, And we are with uh, several dozen students, uh, staff, and faculty just kind of waiting here until we get the all clear that we can uh, exit the building we're in. Oh, uh, I think we lost him there. Are we getting him back? I can hear you. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please continue. Yes, so we are just uh, here continuing to shelter in place until we hear otherwise. Um, We, like you guys, are just waiting to get this uh, police presser just to hear any updates. But uh, for now, we 
We've been in this uh, room we're sheltered in for uh, several hours. Uh, we barricaded the doors. Uh, people are, uh, for the most part, trying to stay away from the windows as much as we can. What are you hearing from students? I don't want to steal your reporting, but tell us what they're telling you. <laughs> um, well, like any situation like this, we know just uh, any kind of rumor or word spreads like wildfire. So all the students I'm with uh, are just getting information from uh, their friends, social media, Discord, just saying, they keep hearing there's multiple shooters or how many people may have been shot or killed. Um, I need to break in. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Brett, um, but I, I think uh, the press conference is starting. So let us go to that uh, if it is, in President fact, starting. Director of University Police Services in Southern Command. Uh, Adam, A-D-A-M, Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A. Wanted to give you just a very short briefing on where we are at this point. Before I do that, I want to introduce Sheriff McMahill, who you see to my left, and the uh, fire chief, uh, Chief Steinbeck. So we received a call of an active shooter event at 11.45 this morning. Officers immediately responded, engaged the suspect. The suspect at this point is deceased. We do not have information on any uh, potential victims at this point. Uh, what I can tell you as well is that the entire Nevada system of higher education in Southern Nevada, campuses are all closed out of an abundance of caution. There is no threat to any other campus, but we are doing this out of an abundance of caution. With that, I will turn it over to the Sheriff. I'm Kevin McMahill. I'm the sheriff for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and I want to say to the community, there's no further threat. I will tell you that this combined police, state, local, and federal law enforcement, along with the fire department, works very well. As the chief told you, we do have one su suspect down. Uh, of course, we have no idea on the uh, motive. Um, there are a number of victims that have been transported to area hospitals, so I don't want to give you false information and tell you how many victims that we have, but we will pro be providing that update very, very shortly. I want to assure the community there's no further threat. We are continue continuing the investigation here. Uh, this is still a very active and dynamic scene, so if you can avoid the area, we would appreciate it. And we'll be pro providing additional updates in the very near future. Thank there you. There are victims. Yes, there are victims. Yes, on uh, behalf of the entire uh, uh, first responder community, though, of course, our, our hearts go out to any of the families that are affected by this. Uh, our update right now is that we do have a, a reunification center that is opened up at the convention center. That's at the North Hall. It will take time to transport uh, students over to that area, but if you can't get a hold of uh, your loved ones right now, your, your, your kids or uh, somebody that you're concerned with, then that would be the place to go and to try to uh, go ahead and do that reunification. Uh, we will have people there to assist you. We also have a phone number. Uh, it is being staffed. It's 702-455-AIDE. And there'll be a website opened up and it's uh, facofsouthernnevada.com. Okay, and so that is our uh, current uh, information that we have uh, for victim services and that will um, uh, change also as or, or be updated as necessary but we will have those resources there understand when you call that number or you check the website the information right now will still be limited and there won't be any specific information as far as uh, individuals that have been uh, injured or or deceased sheriff what's happening on the campus now i see people leaving 
So as you can imagine, the campus is a very large um, area to cover. Uh, much like we had it in the aftermath of 1 October, there's a lot of additional calls coming in that students hunkered down, they're afraid, they're scared. Our officers are going unit by unit, building by building with the, uh, the, the university police and the rest of the police officers, firefighters, EMS, and making sure that we don't have any additional victims and or subjects. So we'll be back with you in the very near future to provide an update. Thank any you. Any info on the suspect? Sheriff, I have an update as well. I'm sorry on that on that website. That's going to be facofsouthernnevada.org. I believe I said .com. That is that is .org. Thank you, sir. All right, so we just got the latest information. All right, so that's the latest information um, from officials uh, there in Las Vegas, including the sheriff, saying that there is uh, no further threat uh, and that there were a number of victims who were taken to area hospitals, although uh, he did not. Uh, go into detail about their condition, about whether uh, they were alive or whether uh, they uh, their condition at all. Um, they did confirm, the sheriff and others, uh, that the suspect uh, has been killed. Uh, they're also working on a reunification center for students and others on campus. Uh, I want to bring back CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller and former DHS Assistant Secretary and CNN National Security Analyst, Julia Kayyem. Uh, John, your biggest takeaway? Well, I mean, we were talking before about, you know, we expected that press conference to be bare bones, which is here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and here's what we're doing to find out. Uh, we got all that, maybe a little bit less, um, in that what we do know is there is a shooting. We knew that. What we do know is the suspect is down. And I think from uh, Kevin's statement, uh, Kevin McMahill, the sheriff, that there's no further threat. That tells us a third thing, which is uh, the shooter is down and they do not believe there's a second shooter as, uh, as we so often see those reports in the, in the fog of war as Ed Davis called it after these things. So now it is a question of um, counting up the number of victims um, beyond the gunmen, how many of them might be deceased um, how many were removed to hospitals and in what condition and what their condition will be. And I think the last piece is they're continuing to go through those rooms to find out if there is any other victim who is either unable to move, unable to communicate, or still hiding. Um, that's a process of clearing two buildings, the student union building and um, the business center uh, where this may have started. Uh, those are fairly significant spaces to go through if you have to open every door, every room, every closet. So that'll take some time. But he did say they would be back. Uh, let me just say this. Kevin McMahill um, is the sheriff. When they had the Las Vegas sniper incident with over 500 people mm -hmm. uh, hurt and multiple calls, he was the under sheriff and he was in charge of that operation um, from a tactical standpoint. Uh, I was with him. Uh, in the early summer around June out in Las Vegas when we had the Leadership and Counterterrorism Conference where we bring together all the top counterterrorism people from around the world and, you know, the presentations that went on at the, the, the conference that Kevin um, hosted were all about what to do in the major incident, how to handle it, what the threat picture was, what was coming, and so on. So he's a guy who is um, very much attuned to the global picture, to the big picture, and um, very experienced in crisis management. And Juliet, we didn't get really any information about the victims other than the fact that they're on their way to the hospital. Um, 
Is that, uh, I mean, why is that? So what one would be notification to the family members. Uh, uh, I was surprised we didn't get numbers. They clearly think this is over. They, they know what the count is. Um, I think it's better for, you know, even if they're not, even if it's a floor to give a number of how many people have been transported. It, if it's a low number, people feel calmer. If it's a high number, we know what kind of incident we're facing. Uh, uh, the Family Unification Center has, um, is one of these lessons learned after, uh, after the terror attack uh, in Las Vegas. It's at the convention center. Uh, it, is, it, it, it sort of pops up. They sort of know how to do this at this stage. Uh, and they are trying to get students with family members if they haven't been able to uh, connect, in particular parents that can't get their kids on a phone or or find out whether their kids are okay. Uh, so they know how to run this. They have separate what's called assistance facilities. Those, it's a it's a euphemism for you know a place in which family members who may have children or, or, or friends who have been shot or are taken separately than your reunification center. So we didn't hear much about that. So that might give us a hint about what the numbers might be. But uh, but some number of people have been shot. We just don't know if how bad and 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 nor do we know anything more about the 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 background, the age, the gender of the uh, of the shooter. So hopefully we'll hear more. Those are all known those are all known facts right now. And I'm, as you know, I've been a big proponent of getting that stuff out there quickly so you can calm communities that are rightfully concerned. Uh, Nevada is an open carry um, uh, uh, state it, uh, and uh, it is it is familiar with guns. I mean, in the sense that this isn't a, not the surprise, but that this uh, is, a, is a community where lots of people um, have guns. And so this is a community that also, you don't want them taking stuff into their own hands. You want to calm people and public safety needs to be able to do that, even if they don't know every single detail. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Juliet and John. Uh, we're going to continue to monitor this story. And as we learn more from Las Vegas, uh, we will bring you that news. Um, we are going to squeeze in a quick, quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with the breaking news. The scene just moments ago, military-style vehicles uh, rolling near the University of Nevada, Las Vegas uh, after a shooting. Police say that the suspect is dead. They say that multiple victims have been taken to the hospital. Let's go back to CNN's Stephanie Elam in our West Coast newsroom. Stephanie, uh, what is the latest? Right. So what we have learned is that the police engaged the suspect. That was a new detail that we learned from that quick press conference that we heard, Jake, uh, and that the suspect was put down. Uh, they're saying that there are no other threats throughout the campus, but what they're doing now is the police are going through floor by floor, building by building, to make sure that they haven't missed anything, to clear it out, to also let any of the students, faculty, staff that may still be in those buildings, letting them know that they're okay. They've set up also a reunification center at the convention center, and they're gonna say that it's gonna take some time to remove all the people from campus and to meet those, uh, have those people meet their loved ones over at the convention center. They're saying they're working there, but obviously, it's way too early to know if there was a motive at all at this point. They're also saying that they have uh, uh, 
a number of people who've been moved to hospitals, but they didn't want to go into that. Still not clear if there are any deceased, according to officials uh, on the ground there. They still didn't say that. But still, what we have heard from some of these students indicates that there may have been shootings in two places that are very close together. And that still has not been made clear whether or not it was just uh, there at Beam Hall or if it was also at the student union, which we know are very close to each other on campus. So that is one question that stands out there. Uh, we do know that uh, some of the hospitals have gotten uh, patients, but we know one hospital that has not in the area. So still looking for more clarity on that. Uh, but it is worth noting that the UNLV campus is closed for the rest of the day, as well as all of the institutions of higher education throughout the state of Nevada. Uh, for obvious reasons here, the mayor calling it tragic and heartbreaking, and the governor of Nevada, Governor Lombardo, saying that his office is in constant uh communications with LVMPD as well as UNLV as well to make sure that they have the resources that they need and they can get to the bottom of this. But obviously right now it's still just very early. Keep in mind that this all started at about 11.45 a.m. local time. So it is really still very early on in this investigation. Jake. That's right. Uh, and for those just joining us at about 11.45 a.m. Uh, Las Vegas time, authorities uh, first received a call of an active shooter at the campus uh, of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And according to a spokesman for the university, quote, officers immediately responded and engaged the suspect. The suspect at this point is deceased. Uh, they say they do not have any information about potential victims. We are told uh, that a number of victims from the shooting have been taken two area hospitals, but uh, we have not been told uh, how their condition is or the number of victims. Let's bring back Brett Forrest, a reporter at the local Las Vegas station KSNV, who joins me uh, on the phone. So, Brett, I understand you're still on campus. Tell us uh, what's happening, where you are, what you're seeing. Yeah, Jake, so we uh, tuned into the press conference here. We heard that there's no threat, but we are still sheltering in place. We're in one of the buildings on campus. We've been here for several hours now. Um, you know, I was here for my assignment interviewing students here at UNLV just about uh, uh, some work they were on. And then uh, that's when we started coming running in around 1145, saying a shooter. And we've just been sheltered in place inside. Uh, since then, um, we are told that they're coming building by building, slowly letting out each building, making sure no additional victims or anyone else inside, so they uh, uh, might take a while to get to us. So uh, we're all inside here, just kind of prepared to wait another hour or two. Um, but we, we do feel safe in here, um, thankfully. The students, uh, I'm with dozens of students and faculty and staff, and uh, they've just been checking their phones, messaging loved ones, um, getting whatever news they could from the uh, uh, Internet. But um, for now, uh, we do feel safe where we are, at least, and we're just going to have to stay here for the time being until uh, we get the all clear. The shooting happened about a stone's throw uh, away from the uh, mass shooting from 2017 on the Vegas Strip, where at least 58 people were killed, more than 500 wounded uh, by a lone gunman. That has to evoke some horrible echoes. Absolutely. Uh, some student here actually just saying to me, uh, you never think it's going to happen until it comes to you. And uh, that's how a lot of them here feel. A lot of students here at UNLV are from Las Vegas, uh, they're homegrown. They know uh, exactly what the community went through in 2017. And so um, it is, it's a scary, unfortunate situation. And I'm sure a lot of them are worried maybe their classmates or friends are amongst uh, the possible victims. Um, 
it's just hard to say because there's just so many uh, rumors swirling right now and uh, the students are getting whatever update they can. But uh, yeah, it, it truly is just uh, don't throw away, as you said. And uh, it's just unfortunate our community has to go through this again. Yeah, no, it's horrible. Brett Forrest, thank you so much. And we are continuing to follow this breaking news, a shooting on the campus of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We'll bring you all the latest after this quick break. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start this hour with breaking news. Police say that multiple victims have been taken to area hospitals after a shooting at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Officials say that the suspect is dead and there is no longer a threat to the community. Let's get straight to CNN's Stephanie Elam in our West Coast Bureau. Stephanie, uh, tell us what is the latest news from this latest shooting. Yeah, Jake, we just got a new update coming in from Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I just want to read it to you. It says, urgent from Sheriff Kevin McMahill, quote, no more threat to the community. The suspect is deceased. And right now, we know there are three victims, but unknown extent of the injuries. That number could change and that they're going to continue to update with more on this. So we're getting a bit of a number here, uh, which we didn't get when we just had that quick press conference because they're still trying to put all of this information together here. Um, and just to reset what exactly happened, we know that it was just before noontime in Las Vegas that there were calls for an active shooter on the campus of UNLV, uh, that it was happening uh, near Beam Hall or in that building. We know from some students who were there that they were sheltering in place, that they got a message that went out unified uh, throughout the rebel uh, community to let them know that they needed to either run, hide, or fight and to shelter in place. Students were uh, hearing glass shatter some heard shots fired. Uh, they were hunkering down in classrooms, closing blinds, just trying to hide. All of that is what they were doing, while at the same time, we know that LVMPD was making their way in. According to the press conference, what we know now is that the police engaged the suspect and that the suspect is now deceased. Uh, we also know that they do not have a motive yet at this time. They said that a number of victims have been transferred to uh, area hospitals. It is also worth noting that UMC is the only level one trauma center in Nevada, and it's in Las Vegas. And they say at this time they have not received any patients. Uh, so that's also another detail that's interesting to note here. Um, so all of that is what has been happening here, Jake. All right, Stephanie Elam, we'll check back with you. Thank you so much. I, I want to bring in uh, CNN law enforcement analyst Steve Moore. Um, Steve, now that the suspect uh, is deceased, uh, what's the main priority for police on the scene on the campus of UNLV right now? Well, Jake, what, what happens now is you, you've gone from uh, your first phase, which is the exigent phase, uh, the most exigent phase, and ending the threat, into a recovery situation. You've got to have uh, 
Uh, depending on the number of casualties you might have, you've got to have a triage center, a mass casualty uh, call out essentially, and you have to uh, tend to the victims and you have to search for victims. Um, you have to go through all the buildings that this person might have accessed. And finally, what you've got is concurrently with the investigation going on about who this guy is and why he did this, you've got to go through every building where somebody might have received that warning text and make sure that you still don't have people hunkering down in there fearful for their lives. And that is a difficult situation because they're going to take anybody coming into a room as a potential threat. So this is a long involved process. How can police be confident that there is no other shooter, that there's no further threat? Well, that's a good question because as, as somebody who's run one of these on site, um, you don't want to be the one to say, oh, there's only one and then hear gunshots. Um, so you have to be absolutely certain uh, of identity, motive, things uh, along that line. And so what you're going to want to do is, number one, uh, go with statistics. 99% of the time, it's a single actor. Um, secondarily, though, you have to identify the person. You have to find out um, if they have friends, if they have uh, associates who might be a part of something like this. You have to get in as quickly as you can to their social media, interview friends and family and uh, acquaintances, and determine... Um, what a potential motive is and if there are potential uh, accomplices. We still don't know the, the motive for that mass shooting in Las Vegas to, in, from 2017, right? I mean, it's not always easy. How will investigators go about figuring out a motive? Well, yeah, you're right. That one, that one is just out, out of the ballpark. We, we just don't know what's going on there. But um, in most of these, you're going to find some triggering uh, aspect of the person's personality, uh, their their situation, um, anything that might be happening in their life. Um, hypothetically, you could you could find that this person is a business student. Uh, one of the halls involved, I believe, was part of the business school. Maybe uh, he was asked to leave school. Um, you're going to go in and find any life stressors. You're going to find out what their writings are. Very rarely um, does somebody do something like this without leaving a trail of breadcrumbs of social media, of writings, of rantings to friends, things like that. They don't go out and lose their life over something so insignificant that they haven't talked to somebody about it. All right, Steve Moore, thank you so much for your insights. Let's bring back CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller, and former DHS assistant secretary and CNN national security analyst, Juliet Kayama. John, what are the biggest questions you have right now? Well, the biggest questions we have are still the fluid ones, which is what is the extent, um, the human factor here? How many people have been hurt uh, or killed? The good news is if you can call it good news, are, is that the, the numbers we're getting um, are these single-digit numbers, maybe three with one deceased being the shooter. Um, we don't know the condition of those other people. Those numbers can change. One of the factors about, um, you know, Sheriff McMahill, the fire chief, and the chief of the um, university police coming up to the microphone and saying so little is, 
uh, having been in these situations myself, the information changes. The numbers go up, the numbers go down, they're adjusted, the facts shift because different facts are coming in literally as you're walking up to the microphone. So you try to say what you're sure of, uh, but those numbers are fairly reassuring in that we've seen so much worse. Uh, the governor has been in direct touch with them, uh, talking about things like the halting of classes in all the other state universities across Nevada. Uh, they were clear that was an out of an abundance of caution, uh, but they wanted to do that in a way so that if this incident were perhaps connected to a network of other planned incidents, and that is not what we are seeing, uh, that, those, that those schools would have already um, reduced the number of people there and the activity um, to make themselves safe. Interestingly, Joe Lombardo, the governor who's in close touch with the sheriff here, uh, used to be the sheriff here. Uh, during the last Las Vegas sniper incident, um, he was the man in charge. So this is not um, a politician who's got some vague awareness of the dynamics here. He's been in the thick of it himself many times. So what happens now? First is suspect has been identified. They have a name. Um, they are working with that name to go backwards now. Where did he come from? Uh, where did this weapon come from? Where was he bedding down and laying his head? Is he a resident there? If so, let's get that house locked down uh, by patrol, make sure that no one has been hurt or injured inside there, then secure that for a search warrant because they're going to want to look. Where's his computer? Where's his phone? Where are you know, um, any evidences of a manifesto or message boards or chat rooms he's been in? So those wheels are all turning backwards. Uh, the two major developments, uh, we have some victim numbers, and they are thankfully small. Uh, we don't know their condition. And two, we believe there's only one gunman, and he is out of the picture right now. And Juliet, you note that there, there can be a ripple effect and the impact that some of these yeah. social cancellations will have on students after an event like this. Yeah, we call it sort of the social consequences of gun violence in America. So this is what happens to the people who aren't shot. Uh, so you're, you're going to have the immediate community of students and um, teachers and faculty and staff. Uh, they are shut down uh, at least through tomorrow, if not longer. And, uh, and, and uh, long-term studies of college and university shootings show that students uh, do have sort of increased fear that, that things like a car backing up or, or, or other triggering noises can cause significant uh, uh, mental harm and, and, and other harms. But then I just want people to like, you know, they were such just a couple of weeks after Maine. So in Lewiston, we would close down a community, essentially every university for a couple days with precaution and, a, and an honor of what happened here. You have an airport closed, the, the strip closed somewhat. You have every, every university in Nevada, every, uh, uh a state university, closed. Now, this may be correct in terms of the abundance of caution, and also there's a respect issue to it. But we, you know, we focus on those who are shot and those who are dead, obviously. But we should not lose uh, cognizance of, of the social consequences that our society is adapting to, closing the airport, closing uh, universities, de depriving children of school, essentially, and commerce and all the other things that happen uh, because of, of the number of, of gun shootings. And as John said, because we simply don't know whether it's done. Uh, so it's just worth remembering in our 
reporting about what what these you know these social consequences that we sometimes forget uh, as we as we talk, of course, about the victims. Julia Kayam and John Miller, we're going to continue to follow the breaking news. Police now say at least three individuals um, were, were victims in the UNLV shooting. Uh, we do not know the extent of their injuries. As soon as we learn the extent of their injuries, we will bring that to you. Uh, we are also following another big story out of Nevada. At least six people were indicted by a grand jury in Nevada. They are accused of participating in a scheme intended to overturn the 2020 election. We're back in a moment with that story. And we're back with breaking news from Capitol Hill. The vote in the U.S. Senate on aid to Ukraine and Israel is just wrapping up. Democrats and Republicans have been in a stalemate over whether to also include tighter immigration policies in that aid package. With us now to discuss, Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. He's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's also national co-chair for President Biden's 2024 campaign. Senator, the Senate is set to go home for the holidays uh, next week. Will this aid package pass before you all go home and wish each other a Merry Christmas? Jake, we should not go home for the holidays without passing this urgent supplemental funding bill that would sustain Ukraine's fight against Russian aggression, uh, provide critically needed assistance to Israel, fund humanitarian relief. Uh, for innocent civilians from Gaza to Ukraine to a dozen other countries and support our partners and allies in the Indo-Pacific who are um, standing up to Chinese aggression. It's a big and broad package, and it also includes the single largest investment in border security. President Biden's request would include $13 billion for border security. They would hire thousands of Border Patrol agents, Customs and Border Protection agents, uh, asylum officers, and significantly improve border security. My hope is that after today's vote, we can get down to the business of crafting a compromise that can pass. Leader Schumer gave the Republicans a path forward by promising them the First Amendment vote on this package. I know that's procedural, but the point is that if we can get 60 senators between the two parties to agree to a responsible compromise on border security, Leader Schumer has guaranteed that will get a vote and would get attached to this package. We now have a very short timeline to get this urgent work done. So the Senate's classified briefing on Ukraine yesterday, you were there, correct? Yes, I was. It devolved into a shouting match over border security. And Republicans yes, say the meeting was a waste of time because you, you guys, the Democrats, refused to even let them address border security. Now, the White House's supplemental request, as you know, it includes $14 billion for border security. So did shutting down border talk at that meeting hurt the bill's chances of passing? I frankly think that um, that performance at the briefing and the vote today uh, was meant to signal that Republicans are united and firm in insisting changes in border security policy. I also think the president's supplemental um, showed the willingness to invest massively in border security. And we should stop with the theatrics and get to the bargaining table and close the gap between the two parties. If the Republicans want tougher border policies, right, and they, they want tougher asylum policies, they want it, e you know, want it to be easier for the Border Patrol to send people, send people who are not in this country legally back uh, over the border, 
And the border crossings are at a, I mean, I remember when uh, then DHS secretary said 4,000 people crossing the border, uh, I think, I forget if it was a day or a week, but he said it, it was, that was a crisis. And the number right now is something like 14,000, right? It's exponentially higher. Why, why would you not want um, the president to have the ability to alleviate this crisis? Uh, well, Jake, that's exactly the sorts of things we are talking about. Uh, there's a record number of people crossing the border and seeking asylum. Um, that's why there have been negotiations over the last few weeks about how we might modify or change the standards for asylum review. The overwhelming majority of the people who cross our border claim asylum and then go into our legal process for several years are ultimately found to not be eligible for asylum. So I do think there's room for us to agree on a higher initial screening standard, on faster processing, on investing more in making sure that uh, those who've got a credible, legitimate legal claim um, that they're being persecuted because of their faith or their political views have a chance to get into our country, but the majority who do not don't get into our country. I do think we can work this out, Jake. President Biden told donors uh, behind closed doors that he wasn't sure he would be seeking another term if Donald Trump uh, weren't running. Uh, what's your reaction to that? And are you still sure that he's the best one to take on Donald Trump? I understand in 2020, that was his argument. He's the only one that can beat Trump. He's the only one that could get that coalition together, etc. Are you sure that that's still the case? I've heard some Democrats say he might be the only one that can lose to Trump. I disagree with that, Jake. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, given today is another tragic day uh, where Americans are mourning the loss of victims in a mass shooting. Uh, I'll remind you, it was five years ago that Las Vegas suffered one of the worst, largest, most tragic mass shootings in American history at the Mandalay Bay, um, where there was a shooter who killed dozens and dozens of people. President Biden last year signed into law the most significant gun safety legislation, the most significant investments in community mental health in our Safer Communities Act in decades. Um, he was derided in the early primaries in 2020 in my party for being naive, for believing that he could accomplish big things in a bipartisan way. And President Biden has signed into law the largest investment in infrastructure since Eisenhower, mm -hmm. the biggest reduction in prescription drug prices ever, the largest efforts to combat climate change ever. He has a remarkable record on which he can run in 2020. And let me just remind you in closing, Jake, President Trump, former President Trump, has said he wants to bring back a Muslim ban that would use religion as the basis to bar people from coming into our country and to use the National Guard to screen people throughout our country, round them up and deport them from the interior of our country. Yeah. He has a whole series of extreme immigration proposals um, that don't reflect the values of our country. President Biden yeah. ran in 2020 to oppose that, to restore the soul of our nation. And I'm convinced he's the right leader to carry us forward in that important work. Don't tell me. Tell the Democrats in Dearborn. Democratic Senator Chris Coons, thanks so much for your time. There was an intense confrontation between families of hostages and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. CNN has the leaked audio of that confrontation, and that's next.
In our world lead now, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israeli forces are encircling the home of the top leader of Hamas in Gaza, Yahya Sinwar, but acknowledges that Sinwar might not be there. CNN's Alex Marquardt is following developments in the Israel-Hamas war from Tel Aviv. The new phase that Israel's military announced now leaving Gaza's second biggest city, Khan Yunus, in chaos and parts in ruin. This resident of Khan Yunus searching the rubble of this house after an Israeli strike, Hamdi Tanira, says 30 people were inside, most of them children. Everybody is hurt, he says. I don't know how we made it out alive. Israel's military said Wednesday morning it had carried out about 250 airstrikes in Gaza in the previous 24 hours. It is now operating, quote, in the heart of Khan Yunus, telling civilians to evacuate parts of the city. This Israeli leaflet has a verse on it from the Quran. Ominously, it refers to Noah's warning that a flood was coming. The flood overtook them, it reads, while they persisted in wrongdoing. What isn't flowing into Gaza is enough aid. The Biden administration has sharply warned Israel they aren't doing enough, and the U.S. hopes to see a change in Israeli military tactics during this new phase. Too many civili Palestinian civilians continue to be killed. We want to see the civilian death toll lower than it has been. We want to see the civilian death toll lower than it is today, lower than it has been the past few days. In northern Gaza, the IDF said today they found a large cache of weapons, including missiles, rocket-propelled grenades, and all kinds of explosives. And while Israel expands and intensifies its operations, 138 hostages are still in captivity, with talks over their release broken down. New recordings released Wednesday reveal angry confrontations by released hostages and hostage families in a meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Some accused him of prioritizing politics and said the military's pummeling of Gaza threatened the hostages' lives. A former hostage whose husband is still in captivity accused Netanyahu of having no intelligence on the hostages' locations. The feeling we had there was that no one was doing anything for us, she said. The fact is that I was hiding in a place that was shelled, and we had to be smuggled out, and we were wounded. At one point, Netanyahu was heckled with cries of shame. Another woman told the defense minister, I'm not willing to sacrifice my son for your career. My son did not volunteer to die in defense of the homeland. He was a citizen who was kidnapped from his home, from his bed. And our thanks to CNN's Alex Marquardt for that report. Joining us now is Moshe Levy. His brother-in-law, Omri Miran, was captured by Hamas and, and taken to Gaza on October 7th. So uh, you were not at the meeting with Netanyahu and the war cabinet in Israel, uh, but you had representatives there. What did, what did they have to tell you about the meeting? Yeah, my sister, Lishai, a survivor of October 7th, and Omri, my brother-in-law, father, was, were there, Dani. Um, they said it was a difficult meeting, but they also spoke of what they heard of what other hostages experienced, those who were released. They were horrified to hear of the um, treatment they had with Hamas. And of course, that emphasized the urgency to release all the hostages as soon as possible. They spoke as well of um, the interactions that were there with the uh, elected officials. Some were more positive than others. Um, but we are going to keep advocating, going to go and meet those elected officials, whether here in the US, internationally, or in Israel, because they are the ones who were chosen to take the right decision and release the hostages. Is there anything you can tell us about 
the treatment of the hostages by Hamas? Because I, I think that's important for people to know. Yeah, from what we heard from uh, the reports that were allowed to be aired, um, people were under almost starvation conditions. Um, some were uh, abused, electrically shocked, um, irrespective of whether they were Israeli or foreign nationals. Um, people were showering um, uh, in groups in front of their captures, Hamas terrorists. And um, um, there were other kind of incidents that were possibly of sexual nature, both to women and men. Those are some of the reports we hear. We hear that men are treated even more severely than women. Um, and we are, as, as a result, we, we understand that every second in captivity is eternity and time is of the essence to release the hostages. Do you think the Netanyahu government is doing everything it can to get the hostages home? I believe that it is my role as a citizen of Israel to continue advocating for the release of citizens of my country. I think it's my role as a family of a loved one who is in captivity to continue advocating for him. I'm not a politician, not a military strategist, um, and I'm not going to choose what the government is going to do. I, I'm lucky I live in a democracy because come elections, I'll be able to judge their decision and whether the decision led to the release of my brother-in-law and the release of all the hostages or not. I know that one of the hostages said at the meeting that, um, I, I don't know if it was a man or woman, I assume it was a woman just because the women are being released, um, that the intelligence, the Israeli intelligence, they don't know what they're talking about because they, they heard bombs hitting nearby. Um, and she doubted that they knew what they were doing when they were bombing. Um, and obviously there are serious questions about Israeli intelligence given what happened on October 7th. Uh, yes, I think there was an issue of trust. There is an issue of trust after what happened on October 7th. But I, I believe that the Israeli military, the IDF, is doing what they can in order to ensure they minimize generally civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip, but specifically making sure the uh, hostages are not in, in harm's way. Um, so I, I, I believe the release hostages for what she said, they experienced the most horrific thing and we need to keep hugging them um, once they release, keep believing them, keep hearing them. But at the same time, I want to also believe that my government is doing what it is expected to do, which is to bring about the release. Sometimes I feel like we're living in the upside down because while obviously the, the, the Palestinian people have been victims of Hamas in many ways too since they were elected in 2006 and then since they stopped elections from happening and since Hamas began oppressing them around that same time, there is a group of Americans, a sizable group, that do not understand. This is a twisted group of people who kill gays, who oppress women, who this is, this is a terrorist organization. This is not a revolutionary uh, organization. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I grew up in Sderot, a blue-collar town on the Israel-Gaza border. I spent most of my life there. I served on the Israel-Gaza border as well in a unit called Kogat, coordinating with the Palestinian Authority and the international community to reduce the stress and suffering in the Gaza Strip. Um, but I know Hamas is not a friend of the Palestinian cause. I know it's not a friend of Israel, definitely not a friend of Israelis, and it's not a friend of, of freedom and liberty. And, and for that reason, it's an organization that should not be allowed to exist after this horrific war. Um, 
But for me, my priority right now is not Hamas. My priority right now is for Israel and the international community to do all they can to bring about the release of the hostages. And I'm talking as well about putting pressure on countries like Qatar and Turkey yeah. to understand there is a cost for their policies and their interaction with Hamas to put pressure on countries like Russia and Iran, to put pressure on the UN and the ICRC to do their job, the humanitarian mission, and fulfill that humanitarian mission to visit the hostages and provide the medical attention. That's Omri, my mission. Omri Moran, your brother-in-law, is no different from any other hostage being held unfairly, unjustly by any other group in the world. Moshe Levy, thank you so much. We're going to keep covering these hostages until every one of them is home. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. We appreciate it. Coming up, CNN's Anderson Cooper with a deeply personal project. He's been working on one that will affect every single one of us. Stay with us. As you know, CNN's Anderson Cooper has a fantastic new podcast uh, about grief and loss. It's called All There Is. It's, I just can't recommend it highly enough. In the latest episode, Anderson reflects on his, his brother who died by suicide. And he spoke with President Biden, who also knows quite a bit, quite a lot, in fact, way too much, about what it's like to lose someone you love. A few days before I spoke with President Biden, I was going through a box of stuff in the basement that belonged to my brother Carter. He died by suicide when he was 23. I don't have a lot of pictures of my brother on display in my house. His death is still so painful to me that I find it hard to see his photos. These two pictures really stunned me. They were taken shortly before Carter graduated from Princeton in 1987. He looks so young and happy. There's no hint that 15 months after this picture was taken, he'd kill himself in front of our mom. Looking at these photos, I don't recognize my brother. And I realized I don't think I ever really knew him. I didn't allow myself to, and I didn't allow him to know me. When our dad died, Carter was 12 and I was 10, and it slapped us both into silence. We never spoke about my dad with each other or with anyone. I think my brother would be alive if we had. Why is it so hard to talk about loss and grief? We all go through it, so why do we keep it hidden away? Cry in private, speak the names of our loved ones in hushed whispers only we can hear. That's why I wanted to talk with President Biden. He's been more public about grief than any American president in history. And this is his most personal interview yet. Do you ever still feel overwhelmed by grief? I do as it relates to my son, Bo. God willing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see him again. Bo Biden died in 2015, and in 1972, President Biden's first wife, Nelia, died in a car crash with her 13-month-old daughter, Naomi. I found myself spending a lot of time. What could I have done? Was it my fault this all happened? What could I have done differently? The interview is deeply revealing. The most powerful man in the world talking about the private pain he still feels. I opened one of the boxes that had never been opened, and there was a scrapbook. And there was a picture of the car. I took it downstairs and I burned it. I could not, could not. I don't want to know the detail. 
Grief doesn't go away, but we can learn to live with it and learn from it. And like President Biden, find purpose beyond the pain. The second episode of season two, A President's Grief, is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So many people find comfort and meaning in that podcast. Our thanks to Anderson Cooper for sharing a bit of it. His podcast, All There Is, is available now. You can download it uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, an unprecedented indictment levied by the U.S. government. Four Russian soldiers charged with war crimes against an American who lived in Ukraine. Stay with us. In our Law and Justice lead today, the Justice Department has charged four Russian soldiers with war crimes against an American who was living in Ukraine during the Russian invasion. It's the first time the U.S. has used a decades-old law aimed at prosecuting those who commit war crimes against American citizens. Let's bring in CNN's senior justice correspondent, Evan Pettis. Evan, who are these four Russian soldiers and what exactly are they accused of doing? Well, Jake, they are two. There are four uh, members of the Russian military, and they're accused of kidnapping an American who is living in this uh, village called Milove in the Kherson region of, of Ukraine. Uh, they kidnapped him and held him for about 10 days, subjected him to torture, including uh, threatening uh, sexual, sexual assault, uh, subjecting him to a uh, mock execution in which they shot uh, a bullet just inches away from his head uh, all, all over a period of 10 days, uh, Jake. Now, this is uh, the first time that the Justice Department is using uh, a, a statute that's 30 years old intended to go after people who commit crimes against Americans who are not combatants in a conflict. In this case, of course, the Ukraine war. This all happened last year. The Justice Department, uh, you know, the FBI and Homeland Security has sent agents over there to collect evidence, Jake, on these war crimes. And the plan is to not stop here. They're going to bring additional cases according to the attorney general today. All right, Evan Perez, thank you so much. And tonight, after the Republican presidential debate, look at you. Look, post debate analysis hosted by CNN's Anderson Cooper and Dana Bash, 10 o'clock Eastern on CNN. Coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. Thanks for watching. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 